Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, some problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listener land, welcome back to episode 93 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back. I know we've been a little bit light on episodes this year, but it's a busy year. we got a lot going on, but we got a great episode for you this week. We've got a market action report out, so I'm here with my co-host, Steve-O, and we're going to talk all about what's going on with the market as we're firmly into 2019. So what's happening, Steve-O? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Excited to be back on the show. We've got a ton to talk about today. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, Tucker, but I mean, I feel like the the year started pretty strong comparatively to the last quarter of last year. Do you feel a little bit of that? I think it hit a little bit of a accelerator in spots. Mm-hmm. I feel I still feel like it's a little bit of a bipolar market uh, yeah. in terms of like some stuff sells, some stuff doesn't, but we can dive into all that uh, a little more. But I mean, overall, the world didn't end, right? I mean, the yeah. uh, the great looming recession of whatever year it will land on didn't land on January of 2019, so or February for that matter. So yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I've got some I've got some thoughts on that. So but, um, t- why don't you take it off this uh, this time? Why don't you start with what's going on in your world, your business, and then I'll go from there. All right, let's uh, let's get into it. Well, we are um, busy doing a lot of stuff. Uh, biggest project is um, we're uh, we've got a Dunthorpe project that we're building right now. We've been sitting for three weeks, though. I've been complaining on Facebook as people often do when uh, you know they have a, a megaphone called social media platforms. But um, we basically got the lot cleared, and we've got um, our we'll call it tree protection fencing that has to get approved, which is really a it's just a minute point. But the city of Portland is different than like city of Lake Oswego, for example. Like they have a absurd calculation for exactly how far away from a tree the tree protection fencing has to be versus just using common logic which is you look up into the air and you put the tree protection fencing about where the end of the limbs are which is the drip line which essentially protects a tree so they don't use common logic they use a big old um you know formulaic type 
uh, way to determine that. And so if you don't happen to break out your TI-82 calculator and create that formula and figure it out for every tree, then they don't pass you. So we're dealing with that and a bunch of other stuff. But bottom line is we've been sitting. It's been incredibly frustrating dealing with the city on that. And, um, you know, it's really opened my eyes to a lot of the inefficiencies that they have down there. And it's just, it's to be honest, it's completely irritating. But this is Lake more, Oswego, right? No, this is the city of Portland. Oh, Lake city Oswego. of Portland. And they're worse than Lake Oswego and Tristan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, they wow. are. Uh, see, the difference is this. Lake Oswego is like a smaller city, right? So although their challenges and their tree code is bananas in Lake Oswego, like people are just, you might, tr trees might as well be gold to some people down there. <laughs> other other people, they don't care, um, which I'll get into a story about that. But uh, city of Portland is, is more difficult because you never get the same person, right? You can never build that rapport. You can never build that connection um, even difficult kind of quirky people, which is generally who works at the city, right? Long-term, uh, <laughs> let's be honest. Like you can find inroads to connect with people like that and build a relationship with them. And ultimately that allows you to get stuff done yeah. when you're constantly dealing with a new goofy, quirky type person, it, it's hard to make those inroads. And so it just makes doing business very challenging. And so that's essentially what we're dealing with there. But on the flip side, we started a new project in Lake Oswego we're really excited about. This one actually happens to fall just outside of, I mean, it's technically Lake Oswego, but it's in uh, unincorporated Clackamas County. So we went ahead and cut down nine trees. So I'm just like a tree killing machine this week. And uh, the, the I think I heard about that. Yeah. And uh, oh. you know what the, the most amazing thing was? It was the first time this has ever happened. We cut down nine trees. And every neighbor came over and thanked us. So that's <laughs> never happened in, I don't know, the history of developers, probably. Um, no one called the cops, huh? Yeah, nobody called the cops. Nobody called the city. No complaint calls the office. All we got was thank you for fixing up this house that was a complete eyesore for the neighborhood for a long time, um, which was a nice change of pace. That's how it used to be back in the day. And then all of a sudden, people got all super sensitive about everything. And, and now it's been an uphill battle with virtually every neighbor that we ever come by. But uh, this house, it's going to be a great house. We're done with it. It's in a great little pocket. Um, we'll call it, quote unquote, affordable Lake Oswego, kind of down off Pilkington area. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, it's going to we're kind of doing a, a modern farmhouse renovation to it. Um, it'll look very uh, fixer upper, we'll call it when we're done. Um, but no uh, septic. Uh, no, they all those have septic over there. So, so you are uh, and, and you have to keep that or yep. can you hook to? There's no sewer to hook to. So it's in Is a it neighborhood there. Is it River that? Grove? Yeah, River Grove. Yeah. I'm selling a house over there right now. It, we're, I'm representing the buyer on Lorna Lane. Do you okay. know where that is? Yeah. Kind of right by where the murder was. It's back. There was just it was just in the news. There was like this big thing over off there in the River Run neighborhood. But anyways, um, uh, my and, friend and, lived and right down the street, and I was like, Lake Oswego got real dangerous last night. Yeah, yeah. I'm representing some buyers who are moving from Northeast Portland, and and uh, we, the, the the running joke was that yeah, hey, it's not as safe here as you thought it was. But um, anyways, uh, no, I so I've learned a lot about how there is a city of River Grove. I wasn't. I didn't realize that before. And, you know, they do have jurisdiction there. And yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, there's a whole there's two pockets of Lake Oswego that are on septic um, and city sewer just hasn't made its way into there yet. And they don't have any plans of doing it. So you have these two pockets, which is basically 
prevented a lot more redevelopment from occurring. So it basically causes people to renovate houses versus redeveloping the land on bigger lots uh, because you've got to put in septic. You don't have um, city sewer to tap to. So this is one of those situations. So we basically, you know, we checked out the tank, we pumped it, we, you know, prettied it up and um, it functions as it should. Um, But all the houses in that entire neighborhood are on the same type of system. And it's just kind of the norm um, over there. So. Are you nervous about that? I mean, you're going in and you're going to de- develop and put a nice house there with septic. Do you, does that? No, I mean, we're renovating the existing house in this case. Oh, okay. So we're not, bu- we're not building new. Um, the, you know, the system has been the system since 1967. Uh, and every house surrounding it has the same type of system because the same builder built the entire place. So, I mean, all these houses, it's, it's the norm in that area. Um, yeah. so yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. There, there's, there's, like I said, two major pockets of Lake Oswego that have septic systems. Like, that's just the way it is. Um, so, you know, once you understand what it is, as long as the system is functioning as it should, it's the same as, you know, anything else. So, um, so anyway, we're excited about that one. We're able to hit the ground running on that because it's a remodel. And uh, we don't have to get hung up for tree protection and things like that. But, um, you know, we're moving and grooving. we got a lot of stuff going on. On the sales side, um, We've got a couple houses on market right now, um, one in Garden Home, one in Southeast Portland. I will say Southeast Portland has slowed down a little bit, I think, in terms of sales and price. Um, it may have got a little bit uh, more aggressive than what, um, you know, I guess pricing peaked, we'll call it, last year for sure there. And it's kind of given back a little bit. Um, but uh, other than that, we're, we're moving along and we got a bunch of stuff cooking. What about yourself? Yeah, I heard, by the way, I heard you had a bad day on your other podcast, the Real Deals podcast. There was a recent episode where you were kind of just going, okay, it's not all puppies and rainbows over here. Here's some of the challenges. Was that about the tree stuff going on? No, you really want to hear what that is? I'll air it out right here. I'll put somebody on blast, this mofo. So uh, <laughs> you asked for it, you get Uh-oh. it. Uh-oh. Uh, so here's the deal. Um, on our Dunthor project, we also have um, – some additional challenges. Number one is there's a house behind us that a um, large volume flipper bought at auction and they hired a general contractor. And that general contractor, in my personal opinion, um, really had no business renovating a house of this magnitude and this size. But the first thing that he did is he dropped a ton of rock right under the biggest tree on our lot so that he could create a parking spot for him and his guys on our property. Well, the city came out and they didn't like that because that's basically putting um, compaction on top of a root zone of a 54 inch tree, which equates to about a $15,000 fine. So the city has mm-hmm. been trying to fine us 15 grand for what this ding dong did behind us. Mm-hmm. On, on top of that, uh, they had a water line that ran on our property that um, had to be disconnected. It turned out we solved the mystery. The water line was an unpermitted water line that the, um, people put in um that's newer than the original one but they it's an unpermitted connection it ran it was basically a ghost line and so it got snagged at some point and the connection got broke but nobody knew where it was or where it ran i ultimately solved the problem for him and then after i solved the problem for him so they could get water again he hit me with a ten thousand dollar invoice saying that i owed him 10 grand because he couldn't keep working on his property which was complete bs so now we're in the process of basically i'm probably gonna have to bond over it and go sit in front of ccb and talk about what you know um let's call it less than stellar Uh business practices this general contractor has so just you know the fun side of this business dealing with with ding dong and uh oh boy 
a culmination of things. We had a neighbor uh, on uh, our garden home project that uh, decided that he didn't like the fact that we were renovating the house next to him. So he piled a bunch of trash right on the property line right the day we listed it. So then we were forced to put a fence in. Then he decided to park a car. He drove across his front yard, literally rutted out his entire front yard, uh, parked his car facing backwards on the property line. Um, just weird stuff, man. Just oh my like gosh. Crazy people. I always say that like, whenever I go to like, a, a like we'll call it like gatherings or like, you know, dinner at friends' houses and things like that. And everybody's talking about like, oh, I know this couple and that couple, you know, from whatever. If, and we may have built a house next to them. And I'm like, yeah, I really know those couples because yeah. there are those people. Yeah. Because I always say when you build next to somebody or you do a project next to somebody, like, you shed the whole like personal representative nicety, no people at an arm's length thing, right? You get right to the core of like who people are. Yeah. And unfortunately, we see the core of a lot of people that are not very good people. But most people never see that because they get to see them at, you know, at a distance or an arm's length. Or they never have to deal with them in any sort of a real close knit capacity. And so mm -hmm. it's easy to say, oh, that person's nice and this and that. And I always have stories like, no, that person tried to frivolously sue us. And that person parked <laughs> their car on the property line. And that person called in a death threat to the office. And da 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 da, da. So, yeah, we, we get to see all kinds of crazy stuff, man. And some days it just, you know, it's like, good God, what is wrong with people? So Yeah, and it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's not full-on, all-in-all crazy people. They're normal people Monday through Friday, you know, normal hours. And then... When you, but when you somehow get close to their backyard and you're up close and personal, and, and they decide that that's not their agenda, then then the real colors come out, huh? Pretty much. I think the big thing, and pretty much every builder you ever talk to would, you know, say the same thing, is that people feel like they have um, rights over what you do with your property. And if you don't take their input into consideration when you're doing what you want with your property, then, then they get angry, right? And when mm -hmm. they get angry, they lash out and they do childish things like, I don't know, parking their car right on the property line, driving across their front yard or, you know, just crazy stuff like that. So it's uh, we usually deal with a certain amount of crazy every year. We just had a week of like condensed crazy that was just like. You know, we ran into a bunch of nut jobs all one after another, or just nut jobs and a, that and a combination of complete morons. So, yeah, that's the real estate business. You got to deal with yeah. the pretty side and people that are nice and put together. And we got to deal with the, you know, I guess not so much of that sometimes. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, well, let's chat a little bit about what I have going on. So, I mean, since the beginning of the year, and well, some of this, you know, shoots over into the market action, and that's okay. I mean, um, in talking about my personal business, I mean, since the beginning of the year and, and, and actually I think on one of our podcasts late last year, we talked about how things had kind of moved, started moving a little bit more freely. We, we put a lot more deals into escrow and it, and it definitely feels good. It's not, it's not, um, you know, it's not a great market. It's still, there's still something going on with it. Um, for sure. And the data shows that, um, I have what a couple say just real quick before you get in, like, do you feel like there's listings you have, because this was going to be my big question for you, that are like, that move freely, like you put them on the market and it's fluid and they go pending and it's easy. And then there's other ones that you, for whatever reason, are just more of a challenge. Like, do you feel like you have kind of a, a two different buckets or do you feel like everything is in one or the other? 
Yeah, I think there's a couple different buckets. I have a couple theories about why the market's a little bit better right now. <clears throat> One of them is time of year. I, I, I historically like this time of year to list properties because inventory is low. And yet buyers are out there in full force, maybe not full force, but they're out there and they're out there. And so you do stand out. Um, I, you know, flash forward a couple months and I think there'll be a lot of properties hitting online. There'll be a lot of competition for those, those same buyers. Maybe there'll be more buyers, but there'll also be a lot more properties. Um, I also think, I think we're seeing a little bit of the, the rates came back, you know, they'd gone up. Then they receded. And I saw some national articles on CNBC about this, too, saying, you know, that there was an uptick in activity. So I think I think there was a little bit of a rush by buyers to get back into the market and go, OK, you know, they receded another half percent. They may go back up. So let's do something now. You could almost call that sort of like a dead cat bounce, if you will. <laughs> you know, it's a market that's kind of it's kind of. Um, on its, you know, it's kind of struggling, but it, it's it's it gets a, a little shoot of energy in it. Um, and then the last reason I think, and this one's probably the most positive, is, you know, we've said this on the show that the, probably the hardest part of a market shift is the early innings, because you have this standoff, right? Where, and and let, let's break it down this way. Now, you and I both know. Tucker markets don't turn on dimes, right? It's not like eh, sometimes they do, but, but you know, there was one day in 2007, but other than that, it's a slow <laughs> that's, right? yeah. that's what I was thinking of too. But that was a little bit different because the fundamentals were based on, on liquidity, you know, um, in a market like this, it's not like on August 1st, it's great. And then August 2nd, it's terrible, but let's just, it, it's a little bit more spread out than that, but let's just assume for the sake of this, let's, we, we all have heard like August of last year kind of things got started to feel a little different, right? Right. Well, if you're a seller who in June starts interviewing agents, starts working on your house, things are pretty decent still, you're hearing. You get it on the market in August and you, you're that stubborn seller who's like, I'm, I hold all the cards. Those buyers are going to pay me top dollar, blah, 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 blah. What needs to happen and so, and then so August rolls around, September rolls around. Buyers, buyers now are starting to feel a little bit of momentum in their direction. They're um, unwilling and you know unwilling to pay full price. They're making lower offers. They're feeling like, hey, you know, things might be changing. Sellers aren't quite getting it. So you have a little bit of this standoff, right? Well, what cures that standoff is time and pain. By the way, pain on the part of sellers. Sellers have to feel the pain. And, and by pain, I mean days on market, not getting their money, needing to move and not being able to, having their job relocate them and go, crap, I, I got to move this place. So I think we're starting to see those early signs of pain. You know, those sellers who were out there in August, maybe even before, maybe they listed in June or May, they've now been out there for, you know, four, five, six, seven plus months without the activity so they're starting to get a little bit more reasonable and and starting to work a little bit with with buyers doesn't mean every seller is but there's more of them out there so i think there's an element of that going on um that said i mean i've it, we are in a new new territory for me where i'm having more of my listings expire and some of them the sellers are just saying i'm, I'm gonna rent i had two downtown condos expire in the last month um, 
one of them in the Benson, one was the Benson, one was the Envoy. And I'll tell you, I don't love that downtown condo market, by the way, Tucker. It's just, it's, it's, if you think any, if you think the rest of the market's finicky, you should, you should try that market. I mean, the, uh, the saying that I said for years after the crash was, uh, condos are like herpes, right? Once you, <laughs> once you get one, you just can't get rid of it, you know? <laughs> you say it again. I, I was laughing so hard at what they're like that I didn't hear the last part of it. Uh, you, once you get once you get them, can't get rid of them, you know. Unless it's a super hot market, <laughs> then the Valtrex works, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, or the uh, the other thing I've been saying lately is that when the the market sneezes, downtown gets the flu, right? Like, um, it, I don't know what it is. I just feel like people are more likely to gravitate towards detached and feel that the values are stronger there than maybe a condo. I don't. Uh, there's there's a variety of reasons. I, I don't know all the the fundamentals of it, but I'll tell you. Um, by the way, these condos were cheap. They were three hundred. One of them was a nice uh, eighth floor building um, in the Benson, which is a pretty nice building. Views of the downtown skyline. You know, small small unit to be sure, but it was a uh, it was a decent little condo. We did get an offer on it. We did get into escrow. We'd been listed for about six months. We finally got an offer, got into escrow, and then they terminated. And then my seller's like, hey, I'm just going to rent this out. You, you know, you did a great job, but I, I just, you know, we want to do something different. We're frustrated. Same same sort of thing with the Envoy. So, and then I've had a, I've had another detached out on in East County that was kind of a, I mean, we, we showed the property, I kid you not, 80 times. Wow. and. And, and the feedback was decent, but there was just never, never somebody ready to take the plunge. Um, so that's kind of, for me, again, you know, that's kind of a new normal is just you know, the realization that you're not going to sell everything. I mean, you know, three years ago, that wasn't a common thought. You weren't listing properties with the idea that, hey, I wonder if I'm going to sell this one. You, you just, it was kind of a given that if you get a listing, you're going to get a paycheck. You know what I mean? Did, uh, did those sellers just out of curiosity, like, did they just have like a floor they didn't want to price reduce below? Like that's ultimately yeah. what it came down to. Yeah. Yeah. And we got an offer and we tried to put it together, but they, 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 they were clinging to some stubbornness. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so listings expiring. Um, personally, I'm focusing a lot this year. You know, um, I'm going to talk about Zillow in a second because there was some big news out of Zillow, but I'm going to, so this year and actually for about, Gosh, 12, 18 months, I've been kind of fading a little bit away from Zillow and focusing more on my database and also um, just just other sources of business. I'm, I'm starting to do a little bit more with Facebook as, as it pertains to my database. Um, I've recently um, had some great success at open houses. I'm, I'm focusing more on the Lake Oswego market. Um, I've actually I almost moved... stopped by. I almost stopped by to see you on Sunday. Did you see, was, did you see it? Yeah. I was driving by in my molester van. And I was like, oh, I see Steve's <laughs> car in the driveway. I was like, ah, I almost stopped by, but I was dressed pretty ragtag. I was like, ah, I don't want to dirty up his pretty open house. So I'll just let him be. But I that's him. that's funny. You should have stopped by. Yeah, it's my listing on Upper Drive. That's that's your hood there, your neck of the woods. Um. Great, great property. And it's, it's, uh, I've had some success, Tucker. I've done two open houses there. Both times I pulled out good buyers. Really? Um, one of them, I think we're going to write an offer today in Lake Oswego for about 850. The other one came just as I was closing up and they said, Hey, we were looking in Southwest Washington. We had a realtor up there 
And uh, we decided we, we wanted to check out Lake Oswego and we've fallen in love with it. And, you know, we, can we see your open house? And ended up talking to them for about 45 minutes, setting them up on a search, took them to another couple properties. They're, they're looking one to one five. So, I mean, I'm just loving the, the open houses right now. Um, you know, Lake Oswego is uh, dangerous though. So <laughs> you, might want to, you might want to tell them that. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I had my pepper spray. I was ready for, yeah. for all the bad guys <laughs> running around Lake Oswego, but I'm, I'm actually enjoying that. I mean, I'm, I'm living a little bit of your world, Tucker. I've, I actually did move back to Lake Oswego. My office is in Lake Oswego. So I'm kind of, uh, wow. Fo- yeah. Focused on, uh, that market. I've got a lot of things going on there and I'm, 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 excited to to uh to to really leverage my time and 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 do more there obviously for the price point but also just you know just the proximity to everything it's it's kind of nice when you have you know three four days in a row where you don't even you know leave leave that little area um and have to fight traffic um which when you have a lot going on in there so that's cool not that i'm uh... If your buyers are interested, we will be breaking ground shortly on a about a million dollar new construction off Washington Court, uh, fifteen thousand square foot lot. So we're going to be awesome. building one. That's I mean, million bucks is pretty quote unquote affordable for new construction like us. We go. So yeah, go. yep. Let's talk a little bit about Zillow. Um, so I've 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 really really scaled back my Zillow. Now, one thing positive I'll say about Zillow. I have a huge database. I've in my seven years, I'm, and actually I'm about to have my seven year anniversary as a licensed realtor, which in some ways sounds like not that long, but in other ways it sounds like a long time. But um, to me anyway, but um, in those seven years, I'm, I think I'm fast approaching selling a, a thousand houses and, and Zillow has been a huge part of that. You know, I, I did get a, introduced to a lot of strangers through that platform and that funnel. So that's hugely beneficial to me. But now that I've got those 900,000 past clients, now in addition to, you know, probably another 2,000 that people that aren't past clients, but maybe that we work together, they ended up not doing something and, and that I'm in touch with. I think it's prudent at this point to really, really build that component up. So I'm really focusing on my database, you know, touching them in, in key areas. We've actually, we're rolling as a brokerage out a new newsletter that we're partnering with a company with some exclusivity that's going to be really, really cool. Um, it, it's a real automated process where every uh, two weeks they they send out this really cool cutting edge newsletter that's got everything from, you know, general articles to ones we can customize to our area. Um, very visually appealing. It's got market data. It's it's got really good analytics on the backside to let you know what who's who's reading, who's clicking, um, you know, who's checking their value. It's pretty cool stuff. I'm pretty excited to get that going. You know, we're doing. I've got people on my team doing handwritten cards. I'm personally making phone calls. I'm doing about. Gosh, I'm. I think it. it it's, it's easy to get it pushed off, but I'm really focused on it. I mean, I'm calling my past clients. Like, and my goal is once a year, just give them a quick call. If they answer, great. If they don't, um, leave a voicemail. But the message is pretty simple. Hey, wanted to wish you a happy 2019. Hope things are well. If you ever need anything, um, you know, with your house as, as pertains to, you know, contractors, um, you know, service providers, I've got a great uh, network. Would love to leverage that and help you. In return, if you know someone looking to buy or sell or you, you're thinking about doing something, let me know. And so I really think it's important to have that one touch a year at least. Um, and then we're doing, you know, we're doing the normal postcards and some other stuff. So really focusing on the database, 
having been in the business that now seven years, I mean, there are people that, that have been in their houses for quite a while. So that's kind of my thing on my personal business. As PPG, I kind of mentioned the newsletter we're doing. We're working on that. Um, the other thing that's really interesting for PPG is we've really, really caught fire in the um, mid Willamette Valley area. Um, you know, about two years ago, we opened a Salem office and it, it kind of got off to a pretty slow start. But in the last six months, it has gone nuts. We actually have added, and I'm not exaggerating, probably 50 people to that office in the last wow. three months. We're now working on two of those agents are pretty big producers. Um, one lives in Sweet Home, and they want to, they, they're opening a Lebanon office. And then another lives in the Albany area, and we're opening a smaller Albany office. We call those... In our in our business model, we call those um, PPG agent owned hotspots. Right, it's where the agent themselves says, "I want an office. I'll sign the lease," and then we have a program where, and and obviously it has to be in the right area where it's not competing with a, another office, which those two areas would be. And then what we do is we have a we have a program where we support them. We get the signage, we get the Wi-Fi, we get the printer, we you know do a, a, an array of things, and we'll give them an override on anybody that joins that office. So if somebody if if somebody goes, hey, I'm I'm in Lebanon, I wanna I wanna be in the the PPG office here, they automatically will get ten percent of anything that person pays into the company. So um, we've got a couple of those opening up, and uh, we're pretty excited about our growth in that area. Yeah, that's so, a, a part of, uh, I guess, the Wyoming Valley. I would not have thought you guys would be growing leaps and bounds, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So market. Let's talk numbers, right? Yeah. Um, biggest one I see is that inventory is at the highest point of anything on the chart, right? They go back to 2017, and inventory number came in for January at 3.3 months, which – I don't see anything else in the threes going back all the way through 2017. So basically for the last Well, there was years, one in September of 18 of 3.1. Oh, I take that back. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. So, but, but then we teetered down, we came back up. So we're sitting yep. about 3.3. Three. I guess the question becomes then, because this is, you know, rear-facing data, do you feel like that new number for February is going to be more or less than that? Do you think the market absorbed based on the data, or do you think that we're heading in more of an upward direction? Great question. Um, and, you know, I want to say it's heading up, but I think maybe the wild card there could be some of the components I talked about with, you know, lower interest rates and maybe a little bit of, you know, we are in a lower, you know, February is historically a lower inventory month. So I, I think it might be around the same if I had to guess, but um, I'm with you, Tucker. I mean, 3.3, I think, even though September got close to that, and I think we will agree that September wasn't a great month, right? Um, I, I want to say 3.3 is the highest it's been in a long time. Maybe maybe three, four, five years or, or so. Yeah, I'd have um, to get the old graphs or charts out, but it's it's been a while, with the exception of that wild card in September. Like It's been a while since we broke that number, that's for sure. You see days on market, 76? That's the other kind of like, oh, 
Yeah, uh, which that might equate to the stubbornness that you were talking about. Yeah, uh, in terms of repricing, right? Um, you know, it just takes time to get to where the market absorbs your property, which is basically price reduction, price reduction, absorption, right? So pain. Sellers that, need to feel pain, or they're not gonna they're not gonna lower those prices. And pain usually is goes hand in hand with time, right? Like if a seller puts a house on. On, on the market on Monday, they're not feeling pain on Friday. They're not pe feeling pain 30 days later. It, it takes time sometimes. Um, of the other interesting stat, and maybe uh, you can tell me if I'm reading this right, but it looks like pending sales did jump, though, substantially uh, month over month. Um, so I don't know. That might be a forward indicator that maybe inventory may not go up. I don't know. It's tough to say. Um because I think it was it like a is, it is a little bit seasonal because we're comparing January to December. Um, and December offers do drop off as you're heading into the holidays and people not being in escrow over Christmas and New Year's. It's a good point. Um, so it would be interesting to know what last January's market action report. And I think there's a way to pull up the library what it looked like, but it also could be part of what we were talking about. Um, coming out of the holidays, there was a, there was a surge in activity. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's probably a combination of both. Um, what I'm seeing though, that, that is significant is again, more data showing the market being down. Um, let's see, uh, da, 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 closed sales ended a 10.9% cooler than last year. Now that's, that's an apples and apples comparison. And it's actually growing a little bit because in December it was like 10%. Now we're almost 11%. Pending sales were decreased 11.5 from January of 18 to, to January of this year. So the market is contracting. It's, re it's recessing. Um, there is just less deals happening to the tune of 11%, you know, um, yeah, I don't know what the the line in the sand. What what is a stock market crash like a twenty percent change in value, something like, or a bear so. market version? Yeah, yeah, I think bear market is when you hit twenty percent correction. Yep. Okay. Yep. So we're we're halfway to a bear market in terms mm -hmm. of real estate. Let's call it right, uh, based yep. on the data that we're looking at here. Um, yeah, and and I want to point one other thing out. I don't know. I don't know if we did a market action in December or in January. But did you know that in the December market action, okay, the January market action for December, um, there was a 21.4% decrease in closed sales. So that is a bear market by, by that standard um, from December of 18 to December of 17. I also have a couple other stats here, uh, Tucker. According to NAR, there was a 6.4 decrease in closed sales nationally for the same time period. Which would lead you to believe that we are worse off than um, most other markets, right? Um, which is which is not not hard to imagine since we had a really good run and we are are you know we had a time period there where everybody was moving here and and you know our values were were skyrocketing. Um, so you know the the saying is those who have the the biggest party usually have the biggest hangover. <laughs> So uh, we may be feeling a little bit of that. I have been seeing some articles talking about the California market slowing down. I've been seeing some articles about um, 
you know, just just a national level slowdown. I think there's, it's more in the news. And I think that is good for the real estate market. I think that helps with the stubbornness of sellers as they see those articles and in, in, in that data, they're more likely to become reasonable. Now, the, the flip side of that is it could impact buyers desire to do something. Um, but yeah, um, interesting. Well, for sure. What's your guesstimate on moving forward? I mean, do you, you're taking in new listings, right? Let's say what's your not pitch, but what's your candid talk with the seller in terms of pricing strategy like do you feel like it's it should be an aggressive pricing strategy or is it house by house um I, i'm curious what your take is on that you know honestly tucker it's seller by seller okay um it's seller by seller not house by house seller by seller because you could have two people in the exact same house and you know one seller is like i'm gonna get top dollar i gotta do this i gotta do that and you're like okay i'm a, I'm, a, I'm gonna go with you on the journey assuming you, you choose to. And, and a lot of times you do. I mean, it's pretty rare where a realtor fires a seller because of them being stubborn. I mean, as long as you feel that you're going to get a paycheck, you have a good probability of a paycheck in the end, meaning as long as you feel that they need to sell the house, this isn't just them testing the market, then most agents are going to go along with them for the ride. Now, other times you'll have a seller where they're kind of like putting your hand. They're like, okay, you're the expert. You know, I kind of was thinking this, but what do you think? I'll, you know, I, I trust your opinion. And those people you can, you can help, you know, move in a little bit more um, aggressive fashion. Um, and those, those, those are great sellers, by the way. We yeah. all enjoy those people. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that's I, I would say that is the um, the primary driving factor for how you proceed forward. <clears throat> um, but you always want to have the conversation um, while not alienating yourself and from 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 the from the the more stubborn sellers. You always want to have the conversation of okay, well, let's test the market. You know, I think the data is going. We should be a little bit lower. But you're the boss, and uh, I'm here to support you. And uh, let's let's try, let's do it, and you know, let's regroup, let's listen to the feedback, let's you know, observe the number of showings or the lack thereof, which is which is definitive data as well, and uh, let's give it three, four weeks, and then and then and then kind of adjust course from there. I will say, in a shifting market, though. Your your amount of time you test a market does need to be a little bit longer than perhaps in the past. In other words, you know, three years ago, four years ago, if you had a, say a $500,000 fairly average house in a decent area, right? If you put it on the market and two weeks later, you didn't have activity and offers or, you know, some impending offers or, you know, something imminently coming at you, you knew you needed to correct. And you're either doing it then or you're starting the conversation. I think in this market, I think it's health. I mean, I don't think that would be a healthy strategy. I think that's not enough time. I think maybe around the 30 day mark is when you start those conversations and maybe even longer depending on the property. So that's one thing that I, I think that's that good. Can. I think that's good advice. Cause that, that's what I was trying to draw out. Ultimately is how, how do you, how do you deal with market absorption when it's, market's trending a little bit downward maybe compared to what people's expectations are so how do you get there right and um, yeah i think that was a good explanation of it and i think and, 
You're right. Seller by seller is the way you as a broker have to do it. Um, I'm a little more jaded and I don't have to do <laughs> I don't have yeah, to you no, know, take uh, that ride with people. So I'm more of just a realist from the gate. But you being in the broker position, you have to hear people out and, you know, basically agree to go on the ride with them, you know, quote unquote, given that you think you might be able to get them to reasonability at some point. So Yep. Yep. And and by the way, the higher the price point, the longer that amount of time needs to be. You know, on my 1.2 million upper drive listing, you know, 30 days later, we're not going to be going, oh, my gosh, something was wrong. We got to drop the price. You know, that that could easily be a 60 day, you know, 75 day process. Um, but, uh, you know, and you you said something, Tucker, on our last market action episode that I've I've been repeating a lot because I've, I've never heard it said about what you do as a builder developer. I was going to say, it wasn't something I said bad about somebody. Was no, it? no, no. You <laughs> used a term I've never heard before as it pertains to, to, to your side of the business. I've heard it in the mortgage world, but, but not your side of the business. Do you, any guesses what I'm talking about? You used Man, the I got term, I'll, I'll help I got, you. I'll help you. I, I got two you, little kids. My, my, my mind is mush. <laughs> so you're going to have to refresh me. Yeah. You used the term underwriting deals. Okay. You remember that? Yeah. yeah. And I really appreciated that because because um, I get it. I really get it. Like in your world, a house you're putting on the market today, you started that process, what, like nine, 12 months ago, maybe longer, maybe 18 months ago, you bought the land or whatever. So, not always, but sometimes, right? Steve, we um, have two that all have owned it for over three years. So yeah, it, it's uh, but those were just challenges. But yes, generally, there's a lot of lead time there, right? So that's yeah. the point. Yeah. Like, like I'm putting a house on the market, you know, today that we started the process oftentimes 30, 60 days ago tops. Right. So we're underwriting based on this market, but in your world where th there's a lot of lead time, you, you, your decisions were made, you know, a year ago on what you were going to put in the house, what you're going to price it for, what you're, what you're into it, what your profit margins are. So you're, as a market changes, you're like, I'm stuck with what I started. Right. But now moving forward, you're able to alter the deals and, and in your word, the underwriting of the deals for for future houses. So I, I, I really uh, appreciated that insight. And it really is a difference in your world. Yeah, I mean, underwriting deals is important. It's um, for us, especially you, you know, you as in the broker position, you enter into a relationship with somebody, you start talking to them, they want to list a month from now, two months from now. Um, you know, it's a little easier to quantify what type of market you're going to be selling into and you can kind of nail down that number for us, obviously the longer the project, the more our exposure and the more difficult that underwrite is. So, um, you know, just to compare and contrast like the, the property that we're renovating, like as we go, that we have the septic system for, and we cut down those trees, that's like a three month turn, right? So that's like almost, we underwrite that like you would as a broker, right? We look at it where the market's not going to change on a dime. I don't think we're going to have August, whatever, 2007 that day, you know, happen in between now and then in terms of freezing the capital markets. So, everything should be about the same. So we're underwriting that one the same, but if we buy a lot right now, um, you know, and we've got to then submit plans, we've got to build it out and then we've got to, you know, be able to sell it, you know, that's a much longer process. And so we have to underwrite that with a little bit more concern, um, for where the market's headed and take a look at the data and just, you know, decide, okay, do we, do we want to be in this area? Like, do we feel like this is a more insulated area or less insulated area of things cool? So it's, yeah, it's a process. It definitely differs depending on how long we're in it. But, um, 
I'm glad it stuck with you as a, yeah. a way to kind of look at stuff. So if you were like starting a lot today, well, like you said, um, <clears throat> I mean, say, say you're going to start building a house today or maybe even buy a lot. Okay. Let's use that example. You're looking at a lot in let's say Lake Oswego, just for the sake of this. Um, by the time you get it, do you go through your, you know, your, your plan phase and all your permits and then you start building, say it's done in what would, would you say 12 months, 18 months? Uh, it's probably, let's go, let's say we're buying a lot in April, right? Um, we're going to have plans ready to go. So they should be approved within about a month thereafter. So we start building in May. It's about a six month build. So we'll be done towards the end of the year. Um, so we'll be selling basically December or January next year, right? Like that's, uh, more than likely January next year. Cause December is just, you usually take about a six, seven, 8% haircut on your price. If you want to move stuff quickly in December versus, you know, outside of that. So, um, that's kind of the timeline under which we'd operate in this particular example of a real lot that we're buying. I'm looking forward into the future and I'm saying, okay, this area could comp up to 1.1, 1.15, I want to sell a 995 house. Like there that's you go. Where I want. That's yeah. where I want to be, right? Like that's how I want yeah. to underwrite the deal. That's how I want to build it so that the square footage leaves profitability and we can still price it that way. It still has enough amenities that people will want it um, and it'll be highly desirable, but that's how we will underwrite it because I want to make sure that I'm not chasing this market up forever. I'm creating a product that has some insulation on it based on our timeline and uh, our exposure. And it almost sounds like, and that was going to be my next question. I mean, if you're a year out, are you, are you underwriting it to, to possibly assume that maybe prices are five, 10% lower in a year, right? Yeah, potentially, or just try and hit that, um, you know, uh, construction costs are what they are. Permit costs are what they are, right? That replacement value cost is what it is. And so we just are going to try and build a little bit smaller house for a little bit less money to hit that little bit less price point, right? And that's our insulation there. I don't know that that prices will drop necessarily, but if we build it that way, even if they do, we're protected. So that's yeah. my rationale behind it. Um, if we were building the bigger house and trying to hit the 1.1, 1.2 number, then yeah, I need to be prepared for maybe that's a 5 8% difference in price point, potentially, right? I, I don't know. Um, but that's a reality. We've seen it happen before. It could happen again. We don't know what, you know, what's to come. Um, but that's kind of how we look at stuff and, uh, that's kind of how we hedge our investments and, and kind of think forward a little bit. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to ask you a personal question. You, you, you feel free to not answer it, but when you're, when you're underwriting your deals, are you going, are you shooting for about 10% profit? something like uh, that? No, we'd like to do more than that. I, I you more, know, most yeah. builders, um, production builders are hitting 10, 12%. That's about what their numbers are. Um, yeah. we like, we're not a big operation. We do less volume at a higher margin. That's generally yeah. what we do. And that's why we were a little more choosy about the opportunities that we have. Um, but you know, it's, it's to ensure that we're adequately insulated, especially in this market. If we're going off 10% for that long of an exposure time as our, our hopeful number, it's a bad project to me because that hopeful number could turn into 2% real quick. Right. And then you oh, go yeah. through that whole yeah. build process. You've got warranty, you've got, you know, everything for basically less than a real estate commission. There's just, you know, uh, not something we want to engage with. Um, so yeah, that's, Big builders, that's about what they shoot for, but they're conveyor belting out a bunch. So if they have a few duds, it doesn't affect the conveyor belt too bad. I mean, it still yeah. you know, affects them, but 
um, you know, we're more of a boutique type builder. So we like to have a little bigger, bigger margin. About 15%, would you say? We shoot for as high as we can get. We'll leave it. At that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you view as your low end threshold? 15? Uh, low end threshold, we'll call 15. Yeah. We've, yep. we've done as high as 30, but you know, yeah. we shoot for, we try and get over 15. Let's call it that. And, so. and that 30 is, by the way, that those are the days where you're underwriting and then the year, a year or two goes by and the markets improve dramatically. Yeah. It's like, not like wow. we stole a property from somebody. Yeah. We, you yeah. know, the market matures, right? So that, yeah. that spread, that percentage, it, it increases based on just market conditions, not necessarily because we bought it at just a tremendous value. Yeah. I mean, we bought it at a good value, but as market improves, it makes everybody look smarter and makes us. Oh look yeah. Better, right. Yeah. So, and, but it can go the other way too. Right. Oh so gosh. Yeah. yeah. The other That's what I appreciate about builders and developers. I mean, it's good when, you know, when markets are good, it's really good because they're buying stuff. They're going, okay, I'll be in it this much. I'm buying it for this. Here's my profit margin. Okay. And then a year later, suddenly that profit margin's really ballooned as the market's gone up in value. But the reverse of that can be really painful as well. So, so it all kind of averages out. Absolutely. So, so anyway, in summation here, I think we've covered a lot of stuff. Um, you know, looks like markets contracted a little bit. It's a little bit softer. Stuff is still moving. Rates are still fairly low. They didn't you know, jump out of the gym. Um, but days on market are definitely up. So, yeah. you know, your, your time, your exposure on market to get property sold is up. No question. And where inventory goes from here. I don't know. We, we, uh, gave our thoughts on it, but, uh, I guess we'll see somewhere around the 14th of March. What, uh, what it says, right. When the next RMLS action report comes out. Yeah. And one thing I should probably also state, um, I personally here now today, I'm feeling way more optimistic in my personal business than I was a year ago. And a lot of that has to do with just changes I've made to my business, overhead, team members, um, expenditures, even even some changes on the personal side, you know, with um, with some of my personal expenses. So I'm suddenly my 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 team is much, much more profitable. Um, it, and it's easier to be profitable. It, you know, the, the the output is much lower. So, you know, we're able to generate that. And, and going after your database is a really good ROI. Um, and, I'm, and, and open houses are great ROI. So we are capitalizing on some sources of business that just are much, much cheaper. Um, and, 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 uh, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, the, the spending less on Zillow, too. So, um, which was a, which was damn Zillow, damn, that which was a big overhead cost and, um, and had been getting much, much work by the way, but I never got to it, but there was big news out of Zillow yesterday. They, they m removed their CEO, Spencer Raskoff, who actually was a good guy. I met him multiple times and, and spent a lot of time with him. And then they, they, they replaced him with one of the other founders, the guy who started Expedia. Um, I want to say it's Rich Burton is his name. Um, I have re I have really mixed feelings about this. Um, I, I actually scoured the news yesterday and I read every article about the, 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 what do you, what do you think? What's your gut tell you that this move indicates? I think based on everything I'm seeing and reading that there, so, so Zillow has been saying agents are, are bread and butter. We're going to always take care of our agents. And then there was a lot of concerns about them going into this iBuyer model, the, the instant offer, them flipping homes and that. There was no 
punches pulled, Tucker, the new guy stated that is their future. And five years from now, his prediction is the vast majority of their revenue will be from flipping houses, buying houses, creating an experience where, where sellers can quickly sell their houses and less of their business will have to do with, you know, leads to realtors. Uh, that is concerning to me. That is very concerning to me. And I, what I think is going on is I think there was a, um, I think Spencer Raskoff, I think he probably was, walking back the dog and maybe as as they, they've had pushback from agents and you know concerns maybe he was moving back towards the agents and this new guy was going nope but we're burning the boats and we're going forward and we're going to go after the consumer and we're going to go after you know trying to go into this model where they come to us we buy it quickly we rehab it um there was a lot of interesting news. I mean, they've the, so far they've bought 600 some houses. They've only sold 189 of them. I read somewhere the average profit margin was $1,700 on these houses. I mean, they're, they're you know they went into that in a very precarious. Yeah, I read a I read an article that their target is like $3,000 a house, and that they want to just crank them out. So I think you're right with your assessment. Um, of what the future of Zillow will hold. Um, the the problem with that is that we can't do anything about it. Um, yeah. They hold the platform that the customers go to and they know who wants to sell their house before anybody else. And so, yeah. um, you know, but you, I guess as a realtor can choose to support them or not. And, uh, that will probably expedite their journey into whatever they become, depending on, you know, how many realtors they lose spending money with them. So, and there's still a funnel. I still do stuff with them and I, and that's not, I'm not going to stop entirely, but I'm definitely diversifying my portfolio and, and, and focusing my efforts on other funnels. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, 70, 80% of my, my, my business was coming from Zillow. That's, that's far reduced today and will continue to, 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 to go in that direction, which is, I think a, a very positive thing. Um, I mean, you've got to have your own sphere of business. You got to work. I mean, that, that is your platform at the end of the day. Right. I mean, yep. and nobody can ever take that or manipulate it or charge you for it. Um, and you, you know, thousand houses is a, that's quite a body of work, you know, and every one of those houses has people and those people have family members and friends and you know, that yep. spider web's pretty quick. So. Yeah. And, 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 you know, creativity is king and, and get after, get after that. I mean, you know, it's easy to not do much with that, but, but, when you when you put your mind to it and go, okay, that is that is my pond that I own and get to fish from, and just you know come up with your systems and routines and 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 um, tools to to stay in touch, stay in front of, get in their Facebook feeds, get um you know get handwritten cards to them, get newsletters to them, get you know, you, and make those, you know, and, but you also have to, you know, integrate some, some actual human touch. Um, even if it's just once a year phone call, um, maybe, you know, a text message here or there. So yeah, I think that's powerful stuff. Well, if you ever want, uh, <clears throat> some, uh, super slick tips offline, I can hook you up with how to, how, okay. to, how to engage with people since that's what we do for a living is we get people yeah, to raise yeah. their hand and say, Hey, so, I know but, you've always done a lot with direct mail and then that's still the case with you, right? Uh, yeah, we, we do, but, uh, we do a variety of other things too. We just actually released the updated version of our driving for dollars app, which, um, gives you every point of contact that you need for a homeowner uh, or property owner to contact. I mean, you can, you know, you get, um, 
where they live, all their phone numbers, all their email addresses, their IP address, all kinds of stuff. So with that, you can touch them 18 different ways appropriately and, yeah. uh, you know, get them to engage in a conversation with you. So um, there's ways that we do it as a buyer of property. But of course, you can use those same tactics and strategies to just basically offer a service as well, which is to help them sell a property. So mm-hmm. there's no difference there. It's just the type of conversation that you have once they raise their hand. So, yep. Yep. But either way, I think we hit all the uh, points. I know you got a hard exit. The world's not ending. Inventory's just up and uh, days on market are up substantially. So that's the, uh, that's my summary, I guess. And uh, unless you got anything you want to end with. I think we touched on all of it. Great podcast. Look forward to the next. All right. Well, we will see everybody out there in Listerland on the next one. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.